Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, world leaders are gathering in Glasgow for the COP26 Climate Change Summit, and the Vatican is sending a delegation. We'll talk about their message and the unique role that the Catholic Church can play in fighting climate change. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny Rome, Colleen. It's beautiful weather here. Great. We're finally finally getting into fall here, which is a lovely break from all of the uh, all of the hurricanes and also the the hot weather. So Jerry, last week we talked about Pope Francis's meetings with President Biden, President Moon from Korea, Prime Minister Modi from India. It's been a really, really busy couple of days for you. And in all of those meetings, one subject came up over and over, which was climate change. Many of the world leaders who were in Rome for the G20 summit, which is that summit of the world's largest 20 economies, have now continued on to Glasgow, Scotland for the UN Climate Change Summit. And that's running through November 12th. They're all there right now. And even though the Pope isn't attending the conference, he is trying to send a message. Cari ascoltatori della BBC, buongiorno. Il cambiamento climatico e la pandemia da Covid-19 the Pope also appeared on the BBC last week, calling for a genuine moment of conversion on protecting the environment ahead of the Glasgow summit. So, Jerry, we know that the Pope isn't attending Glasgow, but we do know that they're sending a delegation. So who's representing the Vatican at COP26? Uh, the Cardinal Secretary of State, Pietro Parolin, accompanied by four people, I think. The delegation is five persons, uh, one of them from the Secretariat of State, uh, some from the one of the Vatican departments that deals with this subject, the Human Development Department. Mm-hmm. Basically, Cardinal Parolin is the Vatican's number two. He's like the prime minister in the country, if you wish. Mm. And he, he will be staying for some of the days, I understand, not all of the time. But the message is very clear. I, I don't think there's a government in the world today who doesn't understand what the Vatican's position is. The Vatican and the Pope has made very clear, as he said last Sunday at the Angelus, he hoped that the governments, and I think there are 197 meeting in Glasgow, at least delegations from 197 countries, he said, I hope they hear the cry of the earth and the cry of the people, and that they that they take decisive action. So it's very clear where, where they stand. After our recording, Cardinal Perelin delivered a message from the Pope to Alak Sharma, the president of COP26, and he read an abridged version of it at the COP26 meeting. We can achieve the goals set by the Paris Agreement only if we act in a coordinated and responsible way. 
Those goals are ambitious, and they cannot longer be deferred. The full message from the Pope starts out strong. The Pope says that the task of COP26 is to demonstrate to the world whether the political will to take action on climate change really exists. The message strongly emphasizes education as the key way to change the culture towards one that favors more sustainable lifestyles. And that's something that the interreligious leaders who met with the Pope at the Vatican said in their agreement. The message also focuses on the need for more sustainable development and a more just economic development which would include, he says, forgiving the debts of poorer countries. And he ends his message by urging action immediately in order to give young people who are so invested in this cause hope for the future. The Pope has been very articulate about this, and he said, you know, in an introduction to a book last week, he said that young people are really the ones who are on top of the issue. There's a lot of young people at Glasgow, obviously. There's a lot of the civil society delegations there. Yeah, there are also a number of uh, these grassroots Catholic groups who are at COP26 right now. We have representatives from the Laudato Si movement, which used to be the uh, Global Catholic Climate Covenant, I believe. And we know that Molly Burhans from Goodlands is there. Um, So there are a number of young Catholics who are showing up as well to push for change in an explicitly faith-based way. They're echoing the voice of the millions of people worldwide whose lives are in real danger now. If action is not taken in the next 10 years, some many of the people on the seafronts, the waterfronts, and the islands, they, they can lose their homes and their lives. And uh, the, the Pope, the Vatican, is very conscious of this. And uh, that is the message the Pope has been reiterating over many months now. So it's not just what he will say, what the Vatican will say today, but the recurring message coming from the Pope, coming from Vatican officers, coming from officials, is you must act now. You have a responsibility to humanity. You must not just focus on your own self-interest as a country. So the Vatican's in kind of an interesting position on climate change because on the one hand, it's the world's smallest country. We know it's it functions as a state and it has responsibilities as a state to control its emissions. And it's doing that, right? We know that the Vatican has committed to reach zero carbon emissions by 2030. They have solar panels, they have a zero emissions Pope mobile and so on. But it's also relatively easy to control emissions for a 109 acre space, half of which is gardens, although they did put in a uh, more efficient watering system for the gardens. But the real influence they have isn't so much as a state, as a a world player in politics. It's more that they have sway in ethics and morality. We know that Pope Francis is deeply respected by world leaders. He's influential on climate change. A bunch of leaders uh, cited Laudato Si at the Paris climate discussions. Um, So, Jerry, I guess my question is, as we're going into Glasgow how does the Vatican and the Pope, how do they understand their role in this? I think the, the Pope sees his role very much as a moral authority as and also as a voice of conscience and a voice for the voiceless, for those peoples. And I've mentioned to you in the past, like where we have been in Madagascar, uh, Mauritius, these islands where the Pope has been and seen the disasters that are looming if action is not taken. And he's giving voice to these people. And uh, many governments, smaller governments have come, heads of state have come here to Rome to ask him to 
continue and to even be more vocal if that is possible, but also to use his moral authority with the big leaders. Now, the Pope, as we know, last weekend, he's, he met two of the big actors, President Biden from the United States, and, uh, responsible for the emissions, one of the big five, also India. And he, he was able to talk to both leaders and the length of the conversations, 75 minutes with Biden, 55 minutes with the Indian Prime Minister Modi, it, it's indicative of real in-depth discussion. It's not just a courtesy call. Right. These are a lot longer than we usually see. Absolutely. The normal time that the Pope has with a head of state is 20 minutes. And when it's a question of translation, it can be 30 minutes. <laughs> they went way beyond this last week. And uh, these are two, two big, very important countries. Now, the European Union is another very big actor here. The European Union, 27 countries. Uh, and the Pope has spoken to the, the president of the European Commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, van Leiden. He's spoken to the heads of the major governments in Europe, France, Macron, Germany, uh, Merkel. He's spoken to the head, the chief secretary general of the United Nations. It, 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 this is not to be underestimated what goes on in those private discussions. And when they leave, he gives them documents. He, he gives them gifts, books. Right. He usually gives them Laudato Si, right? Laudato Si, Fratelli Tutti, and the document on human fraternity. That's right. These are kind of three stable uh, documents now, which really write in big letters the urgency of dealing with this issue for humanity. It's not a question of one religion thinking about it or another. He's got all the world religions behind him on this question. He, You know, we talk about influences in today's world. Who are the influence? Francis is an influencer on the global stage, and he is recognized by governments as this, a moral influencer. Right. So we see that Pope Francis is super influential on climate change on a global scale, but that influence isn't just exercised in his political conversation with these world leaders uh, and within the bounds of the Vatican City state, like we mentioned, but he also heads the Catholic Church, which is one of the world's largest landholders. It has more land than many countries. So how that land is used can have a really big impact on the climate. If you want to hear more about that and some concrete calls for how the Catholic Church can use its land more responsibly, that's actually the subject of last week's episode of America's podcast, Jesuitical. They talked to Molly Burns, who has mapped all of the church's properties for the first time anyone has done that since the Middle Ages. And she has a lot of great ideas on how it can be used in a more sustainable way. So I'll link to that episode in the show notes. But after we come back, Jerry and I will look at specifically some new data that's come out about Pope Francis's influence on environmentalism within the U.S. church. Stay with us. gentlemen, to state the obvious, we we meet with the eyes of history upon us and the profound questions before us. It's simple. 
will we act? Will we do what is necessary? Will we seize the enormous opportunity before us? So even though Pope Francis, President Biden, and other world leaders might be on a similar page regarding climate change, within the U.S. church, it's a different picture. There seems to be a divide between the bishops and actual lay Catholics. There have been two studies on this that kind of draw out this divide. So the first one came out of Princeton in 2020. And maybe if you were listening to Inside the Vatican back in spring 2020, you might remember our interview with the researchers, Sam Winterlevy and Brian Schoenfeld, They studied the impact of Laudato Si on American Catholic voters. And what they found was that after Laudato Si, American Catholics' views on climate change shifted more than other religious groups uh, toward viewing climate change as both a pressing political issue and as an issue that there was a moral imperative to act on. And we compare that with a study that came out of Creighton University recently that analyzed U.S. bishops' columns in their weekly diocesan papers from 2014 to 2018, so a year before Laudato Si and then three years after. And it found that out of the 12,000 columns they analyzed, only 93 even mentioned climate change, and only 57 of those did in a way that suggested that climate change was real. So we're talking less than 1% of the time that the bishops focus their columns on this issue, and only about two-thirds of those acknowledging that climate change is a real problem. Now, the U.S. bishop's spokesperson took issue with this. She said that columns aren't the only way that the bishops communicate. But this research was published in a peer-reviewed environmentalist journal. Like, it is credible data. And it, it draws out that there's a big difference between the way that American Catholics have received Laudato Si and let it influence them and the way that U.S. bishops have. So, Jerry, I guess to our conversation, what do we make of this disconnect where the Pope has had an influence on Catholic lay people, but then gone ignored by the bishops in this country? Well, first of all, the Pope, published in 2015, the encyclical uh, Laudato Si. Now, that is a magisterial teaching, and every bishop in every part of the world is expected to take it seriously and move with it, take action on it. Now, if if that hasn't happened, it means that some people are not listening, some people are not paying attention to the magisterium of the church. Now, there's a saying in English, you know, there's none so deaf as those who don't want to hear. I remember when the Pope flew in January 2015, flew from Sri Lanka, Colombo, to Manila. I asked him on the plane the question, is the climate crisis largely due to human factors or is it nature? And the Pope made very clear it's human factors. Now, are the bishops listening to the teaching of the church? When I interviewed recently in America, it's published, uh, Bishop McElroy of San Diego, he said, we should, as a bishop's conference, have three big priorities. One is abortion. We have that. One is racism. And one is climate change. And he said, he made very clear, we're not on this. And... uh, so I, I think uh, the question here is that the bishops are clearly, as a conference, I'm not saying in some individual bishops are taking action I'm well aware of, they, are they asking in our own diocese, we have buildings, we have parishes, are we putting solar panels in? Are we trying to uh, take other steps to in the ecological front? Are we trying to reduce our transport in private transport. Uh, What are we doing? 
Right. And we know that out of the about 200 dioceses in America, only 20 to 30 have actually taken concrete steps on this. So like 10%. Yes. And remember one other thing, Colleen. The Catholic Church in the United States is part of the universal church. So they have a responsibility to their brothers and sisters, the churches in other countries, like in islands which are in difficulty, countries which are in real, real suffering. They have a responsibility to get their own country taking action. Mm -hmm. Each bishop's conference has a responsibility to be in on this question, which is a question of life, of defense of life, because failure to act on this is going to have life-killing results. Right. And I mean, one thing that's really frustrating to me watching this kind of up close is that much like the fact that so many senators and representatives were, you know, flirting with climate denialism for so long. We've seen that a similar kind of sympathy to that viewpoint from the U.S. bishops. And it's really frustrating because this isn't just a problem of ideas when you're allowing this to dominate the discourse around climate change. It prevents you from taking action. And that has had real consequences. Like, that is why these leaders are gathering in Glasgow right now because the Paris Climate Agreement, you know, commitments haven't been met yet. If you're still debating whether climate change is real, then it keeps you from acting on climate change. And it's getting to the point where it's almost too late to act. Of course, we need constructive dialogue, but they've now had 30 years of blah, blah, blah. And where has that led us? Over 50% of all our CO2 emissions have occurred since 1990 and a third since 2005. If this is what they consider to be climate action, then we don't want it. Look, Colleen, last uh, Sunday evening in Rome, the G20 meeting concluded. The Prime Minister, Italian Prime Minister Draghi, who was presiding over this meeting, he said that one significant thing was that for the first time, all the G20 countries have accepted the scientific evidence that they have to keep the global temperatures at 1.5 or lower. Today, there should be no room for uh, denial in, in this whole field. If the governments of very different countries and very different political systems, and I'm talking also including China and Russia and Saudi Arabia, all these if they can all agree that the scientific evidence is so compelling that we must act, I wonder how in the leadership of the Catholic Church in the United States, you can have anybody who's denying it. Right, right. I, You know, we've come a long way in terms of like acceptance and understanding of the science from back in 2015 when Laudato Si was released and you had a lot of people saying, well, what does the Pope know about science? He should stay in his own lane. He should stay in the lane of religion. Now now there's much more acceptance. Um, but I, it is really interesting to see these U.S. Catholics accepting climate change, like being at the forefront of pushing for change and at the same time seeing the bishops kind of fail to speak on it largely given, given this analysis out of Creighton. And I think that it both kind of wears away at their moral authority, which they should have as bishops, you know, the same way that the Pope is exerting influence. It would be great if the bishops were exerting that kind of influence in their dioceses. But at the same time, I, it also kind of reminds me of what the Pope keeps saying around synodality, where he's saying 
that lay people need to be protagonists of the church. They need to be the ones, you know, pushing the church forward, taking action, living out the faith in an impactful way. And we are seeing lay Catholics do that. And I think that that's really significant to highlight as well. Yes. And the, the bishop's role, remember what the bishop's and the pastor's role, is not to substitute for the conscience of people, but to form the conscience of people. And this is an area where formation of conscience is fundamental, and it is an Episcopal task, first of all. Yeah, we should say that the U.S. bishops did release a statement ahead of COP26 on Sunday. Um, they praised the Biden administration's efforts to limit carbon and methane emissions. And just this morning, we're recording this on Tuesday the 2nd, we saw the EPA make uh, a greater commitment to limiting methane emissions. So uh, the bishops, though, also said that climate change demands action from all of us. They were pretty short on details, though. They didn't say anything concrete about what actions were required. They didn't reiterate the interreligious leaders' support for limiting emissions, uh, limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. I, I was impressed, though. They, they touched on climate finance. It's good that they support the question of providing finance. We're talking about $100 billion a year for the next five years to countries which poor countries which have difficulty in dealing with climate change. Many countries have, have the, this uh, major problem, which is paralyzing possibility of growth of jobs, and so also forcing people to leave the countries. We need to change this economy. And this pandemic, the pandemic of COVID-19, and this global crisis coming together, they create the possibility, the opportunity to change the world finance and to change the world economy, and to push for a green deal in very different areas, creating new jobs, but changing also, protecting the planet, and giving hope to people. We, also, we often talk about Pope Francis and these world leaders being on the same page, but I don't think that a lot of the world leaders, especially you know people like Moon and Modi and Biden, I, I don't think they're on the same page with Pope Francis's criticism of consumerism being a big driver of climate change, like the way that wealthy nations live being unsustainable. You know, they're all about, we'll convert electricity, we'll limit emissions, that kind of thing. But it reaches a point where there actually is kind of a divide between them, where Francis is like, we really need to change the economy. And I don't know that the world leaders are willing to follow him on that. Well, it takes time, you know, you can't... Uh... You don't change the world economy overnight, but if you get incremental steps in different directions, at a certain point, you can reach a, a, a kind of a, a point where the, the pressure begins to force changes. Do you think that the Paris commitment to provide $100 billion per year to developing countries is maybe one of those steps? It's one of those steps. It's a necessary step, but they have only come up so far with eighty-two billion dollars. Uh, uh, but it's it's a necessary step. And next week we will have to wait and see what other positive steps are coming out of the conference, and then we can make an analysis and uh, our own draw our own conclusions as to how successful or not has it been, and what is needed at this stage from the church in the United States. Yeah, it'll be important to see what comes out of this conference, what commitments come out. And I mean, I, I know that Greta Thunberg was one of those who expressed hope that, you know, this isn't just words, that it's concrete commitments, that actions follow up on it. So we'll be watching this closely. But Jerry, thank you for taking some time to discuss all of this with me. I appreciate it. Okay, I look forward to 
when we return to this question in the coming weeks. I think there will be a lot to discuss because it's not an issue that disappears overnight. We're in for the long haul. It's a long march. Absolutely. All right, Jerry, thanks so much. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Sound engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Ricardo Da Silva and Kara Hamlin. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. If you want to support our work here on Inside the Vatican, the best way to do that is by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.